clicker for changing um, slides isn't working, so I've, the clicker's up the back now. <laughs> Thanks, Kim. And uh, I think the clicker goes on holidays. And um, at this time of year, a lot of people are on holidays. It went on holidays last month when I was here too, so um, I suppose it's entitled to that. But um, I'd just like to recap. Um, we're, we're following the series of Daring Faith. Um, part four and uh, thanks Marilyn for that word because it really is a matter of to have a daring faith we really have to put aside those things that have been holding us back we've really got to put aside the whatever it is that the devil wants to put on us and making us feel ashamed of whatever it is and step out with God because he has forgiven us he has given us a fresh start every day and uh, and that that's um, what we're going to be looking at today, taking that fresh start and putting behind us um, all the things that might be holding us back. We've, uh, we had Andrew talking about Naaman there a few weeks ago, trust and obey, and about just trusting God in, in our faith. We had Sam uh, talking about the man with the stick last week and, um, and taking that bold step for God and putting our eyes on the prize we had Dee talking about faith in action and talked about Paul and Silas. And here they were in jail. They really didn't have um, much natural cause for praise, but they were praising and uh, they kept praising God and stayed there even when their chains fell off and uh, it didn't stop them. And so they had that daring faith. And we're going to continue about daring faith, part four, about what do we use as a compass to give us that direction and last month I talked, about, um, I talked about how we can have a slow fade. I had the surfboard here and we, we looked about, you know, you're right out the back at Johanna and there's always this bit of a current crossways. And unless you lined something up in the distance, unless you had these things you lined up, you wouldn't have known that suddenly you were a kilometre down the beach somewhere else. And um, you need to, these several things. And we talked about five beacons. If we wanted to stay in that, that path in the channel as you're coming into the, you know, I used to paddle a kayak up the channel at, uh, at Peterborough and uh, there was markers and if you didn't follow this, the deep channel suddenly you'd find yourself scraping the bottom on the reeds and on the shallow part but at a distance you couldn't pick it. So we needed these markers and we looked at, you know, those things that God has put in our lives like moving forward, people in our lives, church. Um, and things like that that God had put there as markers. But I couldn't help but think when you're a long way out to sea, there's often no markers. Um, or if you're up in an aeroplane, and the, what, are the, what are pilots use when there's nothing around them? It's just space and sea. So they need a compass. They need something to direct them. And often there isn't anything around us, so what do we use as our compass? And if we want to flow in what God's called us to do and step out in a daring faith. What are we going to use to give us direction? Are we going to put faith in ourselves and our efforts? Or are we going to put faith and, and learn to listen to God? There's a lot of things that can cause to, 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 to voices we can listen to, if we like. My ute went on holidays about a week ago and it Spent some time with Agentos in the doctors at Agentos panels down there. And um, 
thankfully for a good friend who loaned me their car for, the, for a month. But in that time I was, and because mine had a lot of miles on it, I could have well justified going out and borrowing the money to buy a new car. You know, I was done 330,000 k's and I thought, it's time for another one. So I started looking and I started, and a man that red ute in, in Colac Toyota looked good. And it drove even better. And, but that colour had to be God's calling. It was, it was fantastic. And I did my sums and I think, yeah, I think someone, I think I could have arranged the loan and, oh man, that changed gears. Well, that had to be the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Who knows that a car that changes gears well is always the Holy Spirit. <laughs> anyway, I, I said to the guy, oh, I've just got to go and think about this one and, and let it settle. It just... It had to be an answer. In fact, almost the accident I had had to be an answer to provide me with a new car. <laughs> but that didn't quite work because the insurance company didn't want to write it off. I was a little disappointed. <laughs> but anyway, I thought I could probably get more for a trade-in if it was fixed up, so that was probably God's provision too. So all these circumstances started lining up and I thought I'd better see what God had to say about it because he knows what I've got for the rest of the year. And that's a bit scary. But um, especially when he says, don't buy a new car, it's even more scary. But I prayed about it and, and somehow I, I realised that, you know, our feelings and emotions are not the leading of the Holy Spirit. We can get trapped into that one. Things can look really good in the natural, but it's not the Holy Spirit. It's not what God's got for us. So what do we use for a compass? If we can't trust our feelings and how we feel about things, I mean, one thing I really get frustrated with when you see these soapies and the stuff on the telly, everything's based on how you feel. You see somebody ditch their girlfriend or their wife because they have feelings for another one. I mean, far out. They're just some chemicals going off in your head that can create feelings. It's not God's leading, folks. And young people, if you're looking for a husband or wife or somebody, look, feelings have got to be there for sure, but they're not the leading of the Holy Spirit. They come after, after God says, this is the one or that's the one. So we can't depend on our feelings. Otherwise, I'd have, I'd have a new car now. And... Um, <laughs> No, I have plenty of feelings for my wife. <laughs> we have be careful with it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but some people go that way. That's true. That's true. And just learn to ignore those chemicals that go off in your head because they're just part of our makeup. We don't have to follow them. We don't have to follow all those sort of things. We need to look to God and look to his word and be led by his spirit and uh, led by something far greater than just how we feel or it's a nice day. You know, you know what it's like when it's a terribly hot day and you walk into the supermarket and all of a sudden those drinks, you have to have lots of them. And yet if it was a cold day, you'd probably go and buy some more steak. But we, nothing terribly wrong with that. But we're influenced by how, how we feel so often. So let's not get confused on that one. So there's voices sometimes of pride. 
desire, imagination can all lead us down the wrong path. So we need to train ourselves to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. We need to train ourselves to hear God. And um, my brother-in-law, actually, he's, he loves going out, identifying owls and all the different birds. And he has a CD that he puts a speaker on the front of his car. And if he wants to see a particular type of owl, that speaker makes the owl noise. I wouldn't have a clue. I, owls, to me, an owl is an owl. I mean, I know they look different, but sound-wise, I haven't learned to recognise them. But you know what? When he puts a boo-book owl on the phone, a boo-book on the phone, on the speaker, a boo-book owl will fly in looking for its mate. If he wants a powerful owl, guess what? He puts that on the speaker and a powerful owl will fly into the tree. If you want to know what else is out there, you go through all these different owl noises and some quite rare ones can fly out of the bush because they hear their mate. They recognise, they recognise their mate. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. The more we spend time with the shepherd, the more we get to recognise his voice. And um, in the same way, it just, it's just a matter of spending time with him and learning to recognise his leading. And... Um, and that just takes practice. It takes spending time with him. I remember years ago, I'd, I'd be going around the sheep and our farm at Labor's Hill was lots of gullies, lots of hills, 200 acres and you couldn't just stand there and look out as you do in some places and think, see the other side of your 200 acres. You actually had to walk or drive around all these gullies and there's no way you could get around the sheep. Every little gully, every little hole, every day. And I'd drive out on the, the motorbike and I'd just think, where are we looking today? And we'd be driving down one gully or creek and then we'd drive another one. And here would be a lamb that had fallen in the creek or, or had been stuck somewhere or a sheep would be on its back trying to have a lamb. And I'd stop and think, how did I get here? I didn't start the day knowing that a sheep would be there. And yet, somehow or other, I thought, I just sensed that God had sent me there. And it happened day after day, and I had to sort of say, well, what did the voice of God sound like? And really, it wasn't a big sound, it wasn't a big gruff voice, it wasn't even a little squeaky voice. It was, he guided my thoughts and my processes as I was open to him. It just, there was nothing dramatic, but I'd find myself in a situation where only God could have put me there. And, um, and so I learned to realise that listening to God was not some weird thing, but it was just a matter of being aware that God's guiding us every day and listening more and more to maybe warning signals of don't go there, you know, that lack of peace or something like that. So why is it important that we have this, we know this direction I mean, God places things all around us, even out in the bush. Banksias open their flowers on the north side first. So if you don't know where your direction is and there's no sun shining, you think, which way am I heading? And you need Banksias growing there. But the flowers always open. You see a Banksia flower and the stamen always open on the north side and eventually work their way around. So you can tell which way north is if you're in the bush. 
So God's got lots of little subtle ways of showing us direction. But the thing is, God's always wanting to do new things. He wants us to depend on him so he doesn't, we don't get in a habit of just saying, well, this is the way I've always done it. God must be doing this. And, um, and that's where in, uh, in Isaiah 43 and 19, it was when God announced that he was going to do a brand new thing. It says, see, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness for my people to come home. I will create rivers for them in the desert. God's into new stuff. And there's huge changes and a lot of us, a lot of people are horrified at what's happening in America with changes of, of presidents and a lot of people are happy about it and I really don't know whether to be happy or sad but it's there and I trust in God that he knows what he's doing. But God's about to do a new thing and I think he's going to do a new thing here too. He's doing a new thing everywhere. The other thing we, we know is that we just can't depend on the same old stuff. I think there's a real lesson for us in when, when Moses was in the desert and, and they were complaining about not having any food. And basically, he, and he provided this manna for them from heaven. And... Um, his word says his blessings are new every day. So you can't depend on yesterday's blessings and inspiration. You know, some of us older guys might remember when we were saved and there was all these great things happening and the churches were full of young people and all this. We can't live back there. We've got to live here and now. And you can't live just here and now for tomorrow either because... His blessings have got to be new every day. We can't say, well, I read my Bible 50 years ago, I don't have to read it again. I know what it's all about, don't have to go there. They're new every day. We have to continually have a relationship with God. Be like saying to your wife, I told you I loved you 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it hasn't changed. You've got to show that every day. It's a relationship ongoing. With God, it's a relationship thing. We can't look back at the young guys that have gone off to the Philippines and had great experiences. You can't just say, that's your faith. It's got to be new every day. It's got to be today and tomorrow and every day. And, um, and I think there's a real symbolism when, when God said to, when, when the Lord said to Moses, look, in Exodus 16, 4, he says, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. The people can go out each day and pick up as much food as they need for that day. God's going to give you enough food that you need for that day. And then the next day he'll give you as much food as you need for that day. But it was... And then he said, I will test them. He did this to test them. And then he said... In 16.5, he said, tell them to pick up twice as much on the sixth day of each week. Two things there. One is, he wanted to test them to see if they would obey him. But the other thing was, that's how important it is to God that we actually rest and take a day off and come and celebrate him on, on that day of the week. And um, that's how important it is. And he said that to test them. 
But let's remember we can't live off old manner. That's why we do need to come back. That's why we do need to celebrate and get together. Today we're going to look at um, the faith, the fight and the focus. And that must, the, the fight, the faith, the fight and the focus, the three F's that must come if we want to step out with daring faith that will give us direction and keep us on track. And um, it's like that drift that we talked about last month when I had the surfboard here. You can actually have drift without knowing it's happening and you can end up a long way from where you wanted to be. (coughs) It can happen to any one of us at any time unless we keep something to keep us on that direction. Unless we have a compass and... um, You know, with a a plane flying thousands of kilometres and they're right out of sight of landmarks, they're way up there at 30,000 feet or wherever and they might be out to sea or wherever, but they're lack of landmarks. But they have to counteract crosswinds and all sorts of things that cause drift. You know, in this world, there are all sorts of things that want to pull us off track. Satan's going to make sure of that. All sorts of distractions that things look really good that can pull us off track. So we need to be in touch with our compass, which is the Holy Spirit, on a regular basis and saying, am I on track? What do you got for me today? And if we're serious about it, I'm sure he's going to tell us. If we, really, we need to train our ear to hear that voice. If we're going to grow and change... We, I'll just check that I haven't missed a point. We need to check that we're, um, unless we, uh, we, we can also become vulnerable. Um, we can also risk be, being, um, if we want to step out in faith, there's always a risk. There's always a risk that we'll be wrong. Faith is always an, an essential ingredient of God's uh, a plan for us. Hebrews 11 and... Um, 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. And I think these scriptures came up with the other guys when they were sharing about a daring faith. Faith's a critical foundation. Romans 4.23, but the man who is, has doubts is condemned by, if he eats, but because of his eating is not of faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. There's a, a challenging thought. If, we, if it's not of faith, if it's just presumption, it's sin. And um, the background to that about talking about food is, is simply, and it, it goes back to the, the Jews and the Hebrews and the certain foods they were and weren't allowed to eat. And Paul pointed out that they weren't under that system of law, but it was a matter of obeying our conscience in those things. A risk-taking faith is like stepping out of the boat. There's a risk and I can imagine as, um, as Peter stepped out of that boat onto the water, as Jesus said, come to me, and he stepped out of the boat, he started walking on water. He started thinking, wow, this is cool. He could see that he was walking towards Jesus. But then he looked at the waves, and it wasn't so cool at all. He started focusing on what could go wrong. You know, when we step out in a bold faith, there's a real temptation to focus on what can go wrong. I know in business it happens all the time. You think, yep, I'm thinking God's leading me here. 
whoops, that's a bit dangerous. Stuff can go wrong. We've got to make sure we're hearing in, what we, in, in, there, in taking that step of faith. It's always a risk of take, stepping out of something that's secure. That's one of the biggest challenges, our own security. If we're, you know, it might be a missionary going overseas and we think, how on earth am I going to do this? Our own security is at risk. That's, that's the temptation. I mean, it's the, probably one of our biggest challenges to stepping out in faith. If it was easy, it wouldn't be faith, would it? There'd be no faith involved if the answer was always sitting there right in front of us. I think of the, um, I remember reading a book about it actually and it was uh, based on a guy that was, um, that was playing baseball and the essence was he could never get to the second base if he didn't leave the first one. He couldn't sort of put one foot there and stretch his next one all the way to second base. He had to leave it and run the risk of being caught out. And when we step out in faith for God, if he's putting something in our lives and there's a risk there, sure you've got to calculate the risk, but that's where you need to hear from God because you're going to have to leave something behind. And um, we're going to have to have that risk taking faith. God's nature is always to do the unusual. He's not a boring God. He does some weird stuff. Like he even came in a cow trough. I mean, that's God. He, he turns up in a cow trough as a little baby person. I mean, you would expect the king of the universe to come with a huge ceremony. You'd want... <laughs> just look at, the, look at the United States president. I mean, you'd expect this ceremony. You'd expect all the celebrities to be there. Guess what? There was a couple of shepherds and he was in a cow trough. God, that's God. He loves to do weird stuff. And, um, and so just because the things that he's called us to do are not normal doesn't mean to say it's not God. Look at what he did to Naaman. And one of the other guys mentioned this in their message about stepping out in faith. Naaman the Syrian question why why on earth would he dip in the he was told if he wanted to be healed from leprosy he had to dip in the jordan river seven times and off and off he heads from um elisha who the prophet who said you know dip in the river seven times and his name and sort of saying far out i came all this way for you to tell me to to dip in your dirty river when we've got better ones where we are I mean, and he was nearly going to miss what God had for him. He was nearly, because he knew better, he was nearly just going to head back. And it was his servants that rode up beside him and said, hang on a minute, Naaman, it's not that hard if you just do as you're told. Dip in the river. And he dipped in the river six times and he was still covered in leprosy. You know, he could have said, blow this, I'm going. They said, no, he said seven. He said seven, man. Okay, I'm going down again. In this dirty river, you know, he came up clean because he obeyed God. I mean, God's calling us to do stuff. Sometimes it's not that hard. It just requires obedience. And, and it's great to grow in these things. I'm sure God doesn't give us some massive thing we can't handle. He'll start with those little things. You might start with getting you on your motorbike and going to look for a sheep. 
with David. David was a shepherd boy. And how he trained David by looking after sheep. You know what? David had no clue that one day down the track he was going to be fighting Goliath. But God knew he was. God knew Goliath was coming. And um, God knew that uh, he'll train him with the sheep. He'll train him by killing a few bears, a few lions, doing stuff that he knew how to do with a sling. Without even, it wouldn't have entered his head that he was going to face Goliath one day. And, um, you know, we've got to learn to work, walk God's way rather than expect God to walk our way and just bless it. And that's why we need to hear which way is leading. And, um, you know, there's the stories of uh, the risk that Joshua and Caleb took when they went into the promised land. They're the only ones that said, we can do it. We can take the promised land. All the other spies were said, they're too big for us. We can't do it. It's too big. It was Joshua and Caleb said, we're well able to do it. And um, sometimes we just have to do the hard things. We just have to bite the bullet and not do the easy stuff. And so there's always going to be a fight. The second thing we're going to look at is the fight uh, the, is the fight I think it was, uh, it was Sam mentioned we fight not against flesh and blood but powers of an unseen world and we're just going to have to realise that the things that seem to us natural in our fight, the things that we challenge the things that are going to try and pull us back are not natural stuff there's an enemy behind the scenes and we just need to be aware of that that we fight not against flesh and blood Matthew eleven twelve says the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Does that sound like it's supposed to be easy? Does that so, sound like it's just a cruise in? Like, okay, from now on it's going to be easy. I'm a Christian. It's going to take some effort and forceful men lay hold of it. He's talking about women too, not gender there we just need to realize who is our commander if we're on the front line then what's our assignment and will it be any different you know we're in this battle we're in this spiritual battle and it's just like a war and if you're in a war you don't get everybody just doing their own thing we need to listen to the commander and that is jesus and that is through the holy spirit and for most of us, they're out there in the rest of the world. We're not in church every day. Not many people are. That's the front line. We're, in, we're out there fighting that battle every day. Sometimes we think of the pastor in the church as being on the front line, and most of them are because they're out there too. But it's every one of us that are out there that are in that front line. We could be taken out by the enemy at any time. We're in the firing line of everybody we meet. There's a fight going on. And we need to listen to our commander. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. That fight's going to be different for every one of us. That assignment that God's given you and I is different. 
We've all got a different assignment. Some of it's working in factories. Some of it's working in shops. Some of it's running nurseries and in running businesses where we're con confronting all sorts of people at any time. Our assignments are all really different. But the battle, in many ways, is similar. There's an enemy trying to take us out. And that's why we need to run to win. Paul tells us that. We need to keep training. He says in uh, 1 Corinthians 9 and 24, he says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. It's like you go into training. And then he talks about keeping up the training and he says, Everyone competes in the games, goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. In other words, he trains with a purpose. He trains with a purpose in mind. And he's telling us the same thing. We need to run to win. It's not just, whoo, this faith's a breeze. Faith is a rest. We actually need to train ourselves and equip ourselves. If we're to take these bold steps of faith, if we're to, if we're to launch out into um, what God's called us to do, and uh, then we need to realise that it, it takes some effort, it takes some, some fight, some fight within us and not just be too placid. Near enough is not good enough. It's actually looking to God and there's the challenge. And the third thing is we need to focus. Imagine an athlete going into practice for the Olympic Games without really focusing and saying, no, nah, I'm going to win this Olympic Games, these are the things I'm not going to do because I have to train. I'm going to eat well, I'm going to exercise and I'm going to make sure that I give it my best shot. And if we're in this battle, we need to focus too. There are many ways we can uh, lose track. And we've all, all, already talked about the different voices we can hear. The different voices, that those owl calls. But we need to hear the voices, the voice of God coming through all those other voices. All the things that might look attractive to us. All the things that might take us off track. So we need to stay close. Uh, John, John 15, 4 says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. There's the key, remaining in him, remaining close to him. No branch can bear fruit by itself and must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And um, that's where we need to remain in him if we're to watch for that drift. How many, how many young people have started off in their teens or whatever and come to Christ, been full on in, in their youth group or whatever, but over the years they get to 30 or 40 or 50 and they're way down here and you wouldn't even know they're a Christian sometimes. They've drifted, they've lost sight. They've drifted off track and allow distractions and not just big things but little bit by little bit by little bit. They've become lukewarm. And uh, John, in John there it tells us we need to remain in him. 
and avoid distractions. John 15, 2 says, He cuts off every branch in me that produces no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. There are a lot of distractions in our lives that we need to prune, and everybody's going to be different. I have to keep looking at every every day. You know, I start every year thinking, what things do I have to prune out this year? What things am I going to have to not do because there's just only 24 hours in a day? What things do I have to cut out? So we need to avoid distractions. And we all know that we need to take time to sharpen our axe. It takes a lot more effort to chop down a tree with a blunt axe. And sharpening our axe is about spending time with the right people, about spending time in the Word and keeping our axe sharp. And then our work won't seem near as tough. Jesus took time out to consult the Father. And uh, Matthew 14, 23 tells us after he'd been with the crowd of people ministering to them, he, he dismissed them and he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. You know, if Jesus had to get away to pray and to seek God, and to take time out, how much more do we? He needed the Father's direction. As he was approaching the cross, the whole plan for our salvation was dependent upon him hearing, hearing from God and taking time. And if we think we can get through without taking time out to really sit down and pray things through and to hear and learn to recognise that voice, then we're fooling ourselves. Isaiah 58, 11. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame you will be like a well-watered garden and like a spring whose waters never fail. The Lord will guide us always. Let's have confidence in that, that he's going to guide us. Maybe we're facing decisions and questions today, but he says he will guide us. Jeremiah 42.3 says, Pray that the Lord, your God, will tell us where we should go and what we should do. We're told in Scripture to ask, these questions ask him what should i do where do you want me expect him to answer expect it to come from him and this is where the compass comes in christ is the director of our change and the protector of our change also he will lead us and guide us it's when we um it's when christ is our compass and gives us direction for change that we'll be able to fulfil our destiny. But it's no use having a compass if we don't regularly check it because it'll, we'll be off track a long way before we, have to come, before we know to come back. So we need to live prayerfully to keep our focus. And I'd just like to um, finish this, the story in, in Samuel about how... Um, and I. I haven't got the, the scripture up there, but 1 Samuel 13, 8 and 9. And it tells the story, prior, this, was, this was prior to um, Goliath coming. This was way back when God was testing Samuel. And here was Samuel about to do battle. And he was at Gilgal and he was about to do battle with the Philistines. And, and God, um, God said, wait. 
God told him to wait. Samuel was coming. And they had to burn some offerings and make the sacrifice and they had to wait. But God did this to test him, just to see if he'd wait. And Saul waited there seven days for Samuel. And as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. Saul realised that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offerings himself. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet to meet and welcome him. But Samuel said, What is this you have done? Saul replied, Well, I saw the men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive. So he tried to place the blame on, on Samuel. Didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines are at Michmash, ready to do battle. So I said, The Philistines are ready to march against, uh, against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked the Lord for help. So I felt compelled to offer burnt offerings myself before you came how foolish samuel exclaimed you have not kept the command of the lord your god gave you had you kept it the lord will have established your kingdom forever but now your kingdom must end for the lord has sought out a man after his own heart the lord has already appointed him to be leader of his people because you have not kept the lord's commandment so sometimes we can rush into things and we can look at the natural situation as Samuel did. But in a position where God was looking for a king over his whole people, he was pretty particular about who would listen to him and somebody that would listen. And so he tested Samuel and Samuel's fear overcame his faith and he wasn't prepared to risk it. David, in the other hand, was waiting for God's timing. He had already been anointed. He wasn't going to force the hand of God. He had many opportunities. If you read through all that, you had many opportunities to take Saul out. He had excuses to take Saul out in, in all sorts of situations, but he didn't because he said, God will do it in God's time. And he waited. And... Um, while Saul was caught up with his own thing and offering his own sacrifices and he was not waiting on God, Goliath was already on his way. Saul had never encountered Goliath before, but God knew he was coming. God knows if there's a Goliath coming your way and he wants to equip you for it and he wants to train you for it and he wants to test to see if you're going to listen to him and that could be a lifetime, it could be a long time that but God knows if there's a Goliath coming in the same way as he did with Saul but two chapters later Goliath arrived so we read that in in 1 Samuel 17 but Goliath arrived to find Saul trembling in his tent because when you depend on your own strength and do your own thing you'll have no confidence and no courage Especially when Goliath turns up, you'll realise how ill-equipped we are. But fortunately, there was a boy named David who knew how to wait on the Lord. He knew how to worship the Lord and praise the Lord. And when Goliath came, he wasn't afraid. And he was a shepherd boy who had trained his ear to hear God, who had a daring faith. 
and would do do great exploits. And we saw <coughs> we see the story of David and the battles he won and things he did because God had prepared him for that. And let's not forget that one way or another, our Goliath will come. It'll be a different Goliath for everyone. It'll be something that will appear huge. Something that appears huge to me will not appear huge to somebody else. But you'll come across challenges in your life and God wants to equip you for it. So we need to develop our faith. We need to develop our fight. We need to develop our focus and really seek Him. Remember that the Holy Spirit is our compass. We need to learn to watch it and listen and follow it. And so in this year, this coming year, it's actually every year, it's not just this year, we need to uh, train our ear, train our ear to hear God. It's exciting, it's challenging, and um, it's huge. Thanks, Mandy. (coughs) 